Welcome to the Leadership Wiley series on suburban small business after a short break. Uh, thank you, holidays. In today's episode, I talked to Leadership Wiley Class 20 participant, Dr. Stephen Davis. Stephen is the executive director of secondary curriculum at Wiley ISD. And we have another Stephen on the show. Welcome to, to the show, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen's chatting is alternate name of today's episode. Yes. Well, I... Uh, my coworker is also named Steven and we've done a couple of podcasts with, uh, where we break down a book that we read together. So having multiple Stevens on this feed is, uh, nothing new to, uh, the 20 plus listeners <laughs> to the maybe, podcast. Maybe there's a future episode. Ooh, a meeting of the Stevens. Triumphant of Stevens. Interesting. That is a good idea. Um, so in, uh, I used to live down in the hill country in Wimberley, which is where I went to high school. But near Wimberley, there's a town called Kyle, and they had a, uh, a Kyle convention or a day of the Kyles or something like that. And they tried to set the world record for most most people of the same name in the same area. Um, maybe that'll be my next business venture is get all the Stevens to Stevenville or something. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that hitting the news. Yes. So I'd like to get started uh, by getting to know you a little bit. Uh, so what would you say makes Steven, Steven? Oh, gosh. Um, so my life, you know, my at least my professional life has pretty much been defined by this by this job and this working in, in public ed. Um, I am I like to joke that I'm a seminary dropout. I um I was a seminary dropout. I was a religion major at Baylor University. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor. Um, uh, I went to Truett Seminary at Baylor, claimed to be a youth pastor, and uh, three more years of school was not desirable to me. I just wanted to go, you know, get out and work and go help uh, kids, really. So I started by teaching seventh grade math um, at Webb Middle School in Garland. And I did that for five years, and I coached basketball, football. Um, and then I decided I either wanted to go be a head basketball coach somewhere for the rest of my life or go into administration. Um, my mother was an educator. I'm actually a third-generation educator. Um, and so I uh, went to go be an assistant principal at a K-6 campus, went to go be a principal at high school. And then um, I've been in, in Garland is where I did my teaching career. Um, which is actually where I grew up. I grew up in South Garland. Uh, okay. Went and taught at North uh, the North Side at Webb Middle School, and then uh, went to Rockwall. I spent eight years as an assistant principal, and then uh, it was time I had been living in Wiley at the time, and a job came open for executive director in grades five through twelve, and uh, I jumped all over it. So this is my seventh year in the current job. Okay. Um, I always like to say COVID, COVID should count for like three years. It was, uh, like, yeah, that, <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, we do something. And then a month later we go, gosh, almighty, that seems like forever ago. Yeah. Or, um, um, yeah, uh, that seemed everything we've done up till now seems wrong. We need to start over. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sports being a, being an old coach, um, you know, I'm very passionate about my sports. I watch lots and lots of sports, passionate about my Baylor Bears. Um, I grew up going to Baylor games. I still go on the weekends uh, to football games in the fall and a few basketball games a year. So okay. sports is a big part of my life. When the Rangers won the World Series, I was just thrilled. Yeah. So Dallas teams and Baylor? Dallas teams and Baylor. I wish okay. the Cowboys would come around, but I don't live and die with them, so it doesn't affect me like it says some, some folks. 
So if we're power ranking the Dallas teams, or if we're power ranking uh, what what team holds your your attention the most or your heart the most, what are we what are we looking for? Uh, it'd be the Rangers for sure. Okay. Um, sometimes I'll ask a question. It's a good question to ask people if you want to get to like icebreaker type things. And the question I'll ask in my PDs, my trainings is, uh, when you won't find me at work, where will you find me? Mm. My, uh, when you won't find me at work, you will probably find me uh, at the Rangers game, sitting in the outfield, keeping score. Nice. I love it. Yeah, my, uh, my, when I was a kid, the bleacher seats were super cheap. And so, and I have an August birthday. So my, my birthdays were, Bleacher seats at at the old ballpark in Arlington. Well, the new old ballpark in Arlington. Um, um, so yeah, I'm a huge, huge Rangers. Uh, all the I'm kind of similar of Dallas teams, except my my college team is Arkansas, um, and then a little bit of TCU because my wife went there. Um, and then, uh, but power ranking wise, Rangers and Stars are my top two. I like the Mavericks and then I'm, I'm kind of the same with the Cowboys of I root for the Cowboys, but they don't have my, I'm kind of like, I don't know if it's jaded or if I just never cared that much about, uh, uh, the Cowboys, but they, I don't, my heart doesn't get ripped out. Maybe it's cause I just expect what, what happens every year. And it's brutal. I grew up, uh, I was formative teenage years during the triplets and you, you saw three Super Bowls, and that was as good as team you could ever find. And you, mm-hmm. And then 30 years of wandering in the wilderness, give or take. Yeah. My formative years were uh, the Stanley Cup final, uh, Stanley Cup victory, uh, the Rangers making the playoffs, but uh, losing a lot to the Yankees. Um, And then the Mavs being terrible until Dirk. And then the Cowboys were the Cowboys. But, you know, as a kid, sometimes you're like, uh, everybody likes the Cowboys. I'm going (laughs) to buck a different direction. Um but but I didn't do that with the, the, the Stars and Rangers. They're still my heart. Basketball is really my first passion. That's what I played growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I officiated basketball in college, and that's mainly what I coached. Um, I My highlight of my sports career, or not professional career, but my uh, fandom was I got to see the Mavericks versus the Heat game five All right. at home. Uh, remember that was when LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I was gonna say which which Mavericks versus Heat game five. I guess if it was a home game, that would have been that would have been 2011. So, yeah, I had a buddy, and he he was supposed to take his uh, daughter, and she got sick. Ah. So Texted me like, oh, me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I sat two rows behind Alonzo Morning. That's how good those seats were. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's insane. I'm I'm grateful. Me and a couple of buddies went to Game One of the World Series this year, and considering we had two World Series games, and one of them was incredible and amazing, and just I just am speechless. And then the other one was the exact opposite of just horrible, just a beat down, just so bad. I'm really glad I went to Game One. Yes, correct. Well, I can't imagine, you know, that that picture of Corey Seager hitting that home run and just screaming. I, I can't imagine a better feeling in the entire world. Oh, it, like you couldn't have uh, wrote a better script. Like I feel like you're down but not out the whole game, and then just like then just the lid popped off when he hit that home run. Like it was so loud in there, my ears were like popping and like did not know how to equal uh, 
what is it e reach equilibrium with the amount of noise i was like what is going on with my head like i can't like my ears were just doing crazy things but yeah it was a, it was a wonderful moment to be at and i honestly feel like the that home run was almost louder i feel like it was louder i don't it's just anecdotal but i feel like that was louder than the adolis game winner i don't know there's just something about like we're back oh my gosh mm -hmm. oh it was wonderful well, you know, like with the Mavericks in 2011 and with the Rangers, there's something about the first one. You know, you, you just hear these stories of these long-suffering fans who, uh, you know, they waited their whole life for this. Or, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, they you hear people say, you know, I wish my dad was around to see this. He never got to see a championship or things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, that first one, there's just something like it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It was just, what a wonderful day. <laughs> Anyways, Back to on topic, we'll yeah. probably hit sports again later, but sports are a big part of my life as well. So um, I actually, quick quick one more sports hit, and then we'll hit more sports later. I, um, I prior to kids, and then again this year, my wife and I would go um, see, trying to see Rangers games on the road. So we actually went to the Mets Rangers game this year on the road. It was awesome. And we won, so it was a good one. You've been to new Shea. I, I, uh, we, we went to old Shea. I spent one summer living in Queens, New York. With okay. And we became Mets fans and went to old Shea. Nice. How do you, how do you end up one, one summer living in Queens? So all of my brothers are lawyers. Every one of them, but me as a lawyer, I have three older brothers. Um, and the, my brother Keith was law clerking in the city uh, so we wanted to kind of just, you know, essentially bunk up with him. So we found a place out in Queens. It was a basement apartment and, uh, me and my other brother, who's about a year older than me, we went up there, uh, and Keith law clerk to the city. Scott got a job out on Long Island and I spent about a month unemployed, uh, before finding a gig, I got turned down at the library and I thought that was the lowest of the low when I couldn't even get a job shelving <laughs> books at the library. Um, the lady said, well, there's, there's another worker in Jamaica and if she never comes back, you can have her job. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> but I ended up finding a gig and, uh, we bummed around New York city. I'd work four days on three days off and, uh, nice. Queens is wild. It was yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah, for a second you said uh, Keith Law clerked, and I was like, Keith Law, you, your brother's Keith Law, but then I put two and two together. Uh, Keith Law is a baseball writer for those who are not familiar. So, again, sports. Anyways. Um, I'll tell you my funny Queen story, which was real quick. Was, uh, we kept getting tickets on our truck. We had a little Ford Ranger, and we couldn't, we were, no matter where we parked, we'd get a parking ticket. Well, it turns out you can't drive a truck in New York City. It's a work vehicle, so you can't park it anywhere in a residential neighborhood. So we oh had gosh. to change cars with my sister-in-law because you couldn't drive a truck. That's crazy, huh? I, I, being from Texas, you just assume truck is just a normality. I know, right? It was a commercial vehicle parked in a residential area, no matter where we moved it. Dang, that's crazy. I did, yeah. I wouldn't have thought about that. Um. So I thought it was funny that you said uh, you couldn't handle three more years of school. So you went and became a teacher and committed your life to school. 
Well, and then I went and got my doctorate. Uh, <laughs> so when you're a religion major, you spend about two years of your life wrestling with all the major theological questions. So for uh -huh. example, uh, you'd start a unit and it was like the, the whole unit would be titled, what is God? And so mm -hmm. you read all kinds of literature about what people's perception of God is over time, all kinds of different religions, all kinds of different scholars. And then you had to kind of synthesize that into a 15 page paper of what your view of God was. And mm. then saying, what is heaven? You know, what is hell? Um, all of these things. Um, and you have to cite theorists along the way. And uh, really interesting stuff. I actually had a whole uh, uh, semester long course about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, oh, wow. Super interesting stuff. And you write, 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 and you read, read, read. Um, but then I started seminary and it was like starting over, um, mm. start with, with old Testament. Um, and, and I just, I couldn't, you know, three years of that to be a pastor makes sense, but you know, now people do a program where you can do about a year to be a youth minister, mm. uh, which is kind of what I would have done should it have been available. But, you know, uh, you just, I just couldn't three more years. I, I couldn't. I just wanted to go work with students and help kids. That's where my heart was. Uh, mm -hmm. I liked reading and scholarly work. And that's why I got my doctorate. But uh, I wanted to go work with kids and help kids. And yeah. coaching basketball sounded great. And Yeah. So there we go. Makes sense. Um, so what brought you to Wiley? So funny enough, I grew up in Garland. I mentioned South Garland. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I were newlyweds straight out of Baylor. Um, she was still looking for a job. We were living in an apartment over there off uh, – uh, Campbell and George Bush. Uh, but growing up, I'd kind of seen how everything had grown this way. You know, Murphy was growing, Saxe was going, Woodbridge was going crazy. So I knew that going out this way was kind of the move. Um, we couldn't really afford Saxe. So the next town over was Wiley. Mm -hmm. So we thought, well, we'll just afford, you know, go the one town over. Mm -hmm. And so we've been here since 05. And okay. Row, you know, used to have one restaurant, which was the Chili's. Yeah. Pretty much it. Um, so really, it was kind of desire to just be something affordable. Mm -hmm. um, and since I was working in Garland, the drive was easy. And it, I don't know that we gave it a whole lot more thought than that. My brother's in Murphy, so close to him. Mm -hmm. But uh, we've seen Wiley grow around us for sure. Yeah. Um, so what made you want to join Leadership Wiley? So it's kind of related to that. I've been in Wiley since 05. And uh, again, seeing the town grow so much and, of course, being in public service and, and being in the schools and whatnot, you know, I know everything about, you know, kind of how the schools work, but I was very interested to find out more about the other pieces, parts of the city, um, from the small businesses, the municipalities, to the nonprofits. Um, the day we went and saw several nonprofits all at once, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, it just opens your eyes to the things that are right around us that you never knew about. I didn't know about the Coventry um, and what they do for mm -hmm. for people with special needs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I really did want to know more, not just about operations, but what's in our community and, and what's around us. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, schools are a very, um, I don't want to say prominent position, but most people know what's going on in the schools. You know, you mm -hmm. have kids going to school, your neighbors go to school, people pay attention to that. But these other pieces, parts are so important 
and to mm -hmm. know how they work from, you know, roads to city council to nonprofits to small businesses, you know, all that stuff is so important that I really wanted to know more about it. And then, you know, then the possibility of how it can intersect with the work I do here. Yeah. Um, you know, if you get one good idea out of it, one good partnership or whatever, you know, I call that all a win, but I've been very fortunate to meet lots of good folks who just serve our city. It's a good place to be. And I've really, really enjoyed getting to meet them and just again, see how all the pieces parts work together. For sure. Have you, has there been one day that, uh, has, um, stood out from the rest? You know, I think it was the nonprofit day just because there were so many areas of service to our community that I just wasn't knowledgeable about mm -hmm. from, from the Coventry, um, to the, um, the, the horse therapeutic horse horses, um, Texas therapeutic riding center. Yes. The, ther the therapeutic riding center to the, um, boy, the food banks, you know, the, to mm -hmm. hear the food banks, it's kind of breaks your heart, but talk about in the middle of inflation, talk about how with, with things economically, mm -hmm. um, squeezing folks, how they've had more families show up needing the food banks, you know, when you think what a service that is, um, you know, when I was in college, that was our fraternity, um, service project every year. We would collect you know, tons and tons of food and then we would deliver it to the houses of the families. You know, when you when you see that, like, this is what they what they need, you know, to eat, mm -hmm. you know, that's such a valuable service. So to, to know those people and to look them in the eye and say, thank you. Um, you know, I just thought the work they did. We heard stories of the, uh, the therapeutic writing center from the dad um, of the now adult uh, special needs uh, rider mm -hmm. who they, they, they win all over the country, these medals and awards and buckles. And, you know, it's just so cool to, to see them and say, thank you for what you do and what can I do to help you? Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of times for nonprofits, one of the biggest hurdles is just awareness of just like, Hey, we're here. <laughs> yeah, This is your, and it's a really great place to uh, get plugged into the community is finding a nonprofit. Like there's a nonprofit for just about everything. So if there's a cause that's like super near and dear to you, I'm sure we can find something. If it's not immediately in Wiley, it's probably close by. Like, and it's a great place to connect with other people who are like minded in that specific uh, cause. Yeah. And Stephen, I don't know if you've ever heard about the idea of a third place, um, but there's a book. It's a, it's a fairly old book now written by economists an economist and it's called uh, bowling alone. And the concept behind it is uh, I actually have heard that. Yeah. There's, there's, there's work. We all have work and then we all have home, but you need a third place, which is kind of what you're describing where you you're around like-minded people doing some of the same activities mm -hmm. um, that that builds bonds in your community. And the book bowling alone talks about how over the last several years, really 40 or 50 years now, you know, participation in PTA um, or in other civic groups or in unions or mm -hmm. um, all these things, churches, how that's declined over time. And so we don't have these robust bonds with each other. Uh, I, I actually heard about the book because it was somebody was talking about the TV show Cheers. Mm. One of the reasons Cheers was so popular at the time is because it represented a third place. Oh. 
that, that people are looking for. Um, and the reason it's called bowling alone is because it talks about how bowling leagues are almost non-existent now. Yeah. So it, you know, what you're talking about and this, this idea of a third place, um, in our community, I think it's so healthy. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I was really, I think it's a good, it's a good thought to, to find a place to plug in. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, churches is, is a very common one, mm-hmm. um, but that's not, you know, not everybody in, in isolation. It's not everybody. And also you, I bet you would see the same statistics for churches that yeah. church membership is down and, um, yeah, I've, I've heard it put that we've never been more connected and so alone, Yeah, <laughs> like we, we've invested a lot in these like really, um, shallow relationships where we have service level conversations with everybody and we don't have a lot of deep conversations with, you know, a group of people that we see all the time at the things we always do. Like people used to have at bowling leagues and civic organizations and church and things like that. Um, I actually went through a, um, when I moved here, I went through the, uh, I won't call it an existential crisis, but just like a, how do adults make friends mm-hmm. question of like, I don't, and I didn't have a very good answer for that. Um, because you hear those things, but then you go and there's not that many people there. I mean, granted it was like a year after COVID. So that played a part in it and things have rebounded at some places. Um, but yeah, I mean, it took a while to get to a point where I feel like I've got a good group of friends and connections of outside the home and outside of work that um, I can talk to and whatnot locally. I mean, because I've got friends from, you know, high school and things like that. But like I like in your backyard, like needs to I think having that group um, that you can and it doesn't have to. Another realization I had eventually was it doesn't have to be the same person for everything. You can have, I've, I've got some running buddies and then I've got some, you know, business buddies and I've got, you know, I've got different groups for different things. Um, and, um, so it can kind of, uh, spread the love on the third place. But I, I've, I've found over the last year, six months to a year, like that third place is a huge, and the more stable it is, the more well-rounded you feel. Yeah, I think it's spot on. And it's interesting. That book was written really pre kind of pre-internet mm-hmm. um definitely pre-social media and pre-pandemic mm-hmm. um and of course working from home has been a big you know discussion ever since the pandemic of course in my world it just doesn't happen you know we don't school from home mm-hmm. um but you know i know people who become really isolated because they were kind of isolated to begin with and then they were allowed to you know we're told to work from home we're allowed to work from home or whatever and so now they're fully isolated and mm-hmm. uh, I just don't know that we're designed to be that way. Um, So I would be really interested bowling alone revisited post pandemic, post social media. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting landscape we've got on the friendship front for sure. So what would you say your third place is? You know, that is a, that is a good question for me. Um, honestly, my, my third place, I, I, (laughs) I'm strange in the sense that my best friends are my fraternity brothers from college. Mm -hmm. Um, We, although we're not on the same location, we're kind of spread out now. Um, we text or we'll meet Waco once a year. Um, 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll connect some, sometimes around here, they come over for new year's Eve. I had several of them up. Mm -hmm. So that connection, you know, that was, that was 20 years ago that we were all fraternity brothers together. And, uh, we, we kind of all rely on each other. We actually did the bowling alone book study through zoom together. Oh, nice. So, you know, I consider myself fortunate to have such a long, you know, group of mm -hmm. friends that We've got married together, had kids. Um, some people got married more than once, even. Um, so, uh, you know, but I'm getting to that age. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, you know, for me, I don't know if that's my third place, but we, I know we were going through that book stay together. We felt very fortunate that uh, we have stayed connected over all these years. Um, for sure. You know, and I will say I probably made the same adjustment that other folks have made over the years. And, um, you know, it used to be work people were work colleagues and then your friends are your friends. And I'm really fortunate that I work with folks who, even though it's not third place, um, you know, this is seven years here and my team, I've hired most of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been fortunate to, to, to be able to bring people on that share my vision. Yeah. And I work with a really good, um, team so i'm fortunate that that those people are also my friends and not just my colleagues even though right some people have different feelings about that yeah no i mean i think that's good um for a lot of the people i connect with still or former co-workers or um you know people like that that we uh we were in the trenches of public accounting together um and one of them still works with me um he, he works with me part-time and, uh, so yeah, I mean, those are connection, those work connections can, can bud into real friendships. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, I, I think some people also are like, no, I'm here to work. And I think that I started that way for sure. I think actually, I remember talking to somebody of like, I come to work to work. I'm not looking to make friends. And I'm like, look back on it. And I'm like, man, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like you spend a lot of time at work. Um, so you, might as well like the people you're around. Yeah. That is, um, that is wise words. Yeah. So, uh, so executive director, you've been there for seven years, correct? Yes. So how has that role evolved over those seven years? I realize we'll, we'll add five more years for COVID. So that's like 12 years. So, Really, a lot does kind of revolve around um, COVID. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was very interesting. We were on spring break, the Friday before spring break, there was a meeting, um, you know, it was kind of safety and security said, hey, if this COVID thing, you know, happens, let's just, let's just have a meeting and talk about it. But nobody, I mean, it was like, okay, well, you know, we'll be better safe than sorry. We'll sit and we'll talk about it. And then a week after that Friday, I'm, I'm in San Antonio and I get a, a phone call that, um, uh, we need to have a plan by Sunday to have all the students learning online. Uh, and then it'll be presented to the cabinet, superintendent's cabinet on Sunday, and then we'll present to the principals on Monday. Um, that's how quickly we had to determine, you know, what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. um, and Wiley did a great job. The teachers all did a great job. The principals did a great job. Uh, we probably did more than a lot of other districts um, when you saw everybody's plan, um, you know, with, you know, uh, all the instruction we gave to the kids remotely, but our kids did better compared to a lot of other districts. They didn't uh, have as much learning loss, what's been called. Mm. Um, so, you know, that was a big part to not only get online in the next year, we had both online and remote. 
and about our sorry online and on campus so about two-thirds of our kids were on campus that next school year mm -hmm. about a third, third of the kids were at home um and then the next year coming back fully and just trying to get everybody up to speed um our kids academically are ahead of where they were pre-covid um we've still got some things here and there math took a little bit longer to recover than reading uh, you, you lose your discrete skills in math. If you don't keep those up a little more quickly, then you forget how to read. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, a lot that has really, especially the last couple of years, um, that has been a big narrative, um, mm -hmm. you know, not only the pandemic, but uh, recovering from it. And, uh, you know, that's been a big thing. Uh, also, honestly, in the last couple of years, schools and school buildings and school discussions and curriculum has become much more politicized. Mm -hmm. um, than, it, than it had been before. Yeah, uh, People are running, you know, uh, public officials are running on issues related to school. Now, schools being a political football, by the way, that, is, that itself is nothing new. Um, that's been around for a long, long time. Um, you know, the space race, you know, when the space race happened, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, schools and, you know, keeping our school system ahead of, you know, Russia, mm -hmm. um, Soviet Union, I should say. Um, you know, and then in the eighties, you know, Reagan, uh, you know, really put a lot of emphasis in schools and then George Bush put in the standardized testing, you know, the program that was Texas, Texas loves their standardized testing. And then George mm -hmm. Bush took that across the, the country mm -hmm. with the no child left behind bill. So schools being in politics is nothing new, but in the last couple of years, um, you know, for example, school board meetings used to be fairly sleepy affairs. Um, yeah. and you'll see more participation or possibly more um, you know, public comment or, or things like that. And that's just a fairly new, new thing, um, you know, in the last few years. Um, so that's been a change, you know, for my role, I don't know that that's changed a whole lot. People will ask questions, you know, uh, people will hear misinformation or things on the internet and mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll ask questions and I'll, you know, try and, you know, tell them, no, that's not accurate. Um, yeah. It's just, on the internet so i get a few more of those um but as far as just in general a lot of that hasn't changed the pandemic was the big like Ooh, we're gonna change all a lot of things all at once and then some of those changes rolled back you know people thought this might be a new model for education forever we might have kids learning at home forever yeah um, kids don't learn as well when they're at home so uh, the data showed fairly clearly so that didn't become a long-term you know change and the state doesn't mm -hmm. fund um remote education mm. um, that was a big discussion about you know maybe the again maybe this is a way to transform education and uh it, it really hasn't most most everything's kind of back to the way it was as far as delivery of instruction and all that if you were the in charge of education everywhere what would be a change you would make mm, that's a good question um a good question i don't know that i've thought about it. that you know i think you know there's a lot of discussion about standardized testing i have no issues with standardized testing um i think it has its place it does provide an accountability component that's kind of good for everything i, I think one one thing i don't know that i would change but i hope most people realize is that um their local representatives have a lot of influence about education policy um for example all school districts in Texas teach the TEKS. Um, so, uh, you know, revision to the TEKS or discussion about what kids are going to learn and in what grades, you know, that's all decided at the state level. Mm -hmm. um, 
so you know when the state comes along and says we need to teach this topic or that topic um you know a good current example is the state you know talks about uh uh some fairly controversial things as far as like uh, they say you need to teach uh uh, sex trafficking is, is something that a bill passed and said you need to teach sex trafficking or interaction with police. There was a bill passed that says you need to teach interaction with the police. Um, I, I, I wish more people would realize that those decisions are made at the state level by their local mm-hmm. representatives. Mm-hmm. And it's our job just to kind of carry them out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when people say, well, the schools should just stick to reading, writing, arithmetic or whatever, well, we teach what we're told to teach by your elected representatives. So mm. um, I guess the one thing I want people to know is that, um, you know, if they have strong things about that, talk to your local elected representative, get involved, you know, figure out kind of what their priorities are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because sometimes I think people think, cause I'm the executive director of secondary curriculum, I decide what we teach. Yeah. Uh, so, you're the, you're the strong arm hammer that says we're teaching this. No, I decide when we teach it and I help decide what materials we use to teach it. But what is actually instructed in the state of Texas is decided really by your representatives. So that's something that I just want people to know. Another thing, I guess, as far as changes, I just would want all of our teachers to feel more appreciated. Um, our teachers are kind of at a low point statistically as far as feeling appreciated by the community. Mm-hmm. By the local elected representatives, you know, there's surveys that, that show that um, sometimes our schools don't, our teachers don't feel appreciated for for people like me, you know, and uh, sometimes they'll say that on, on surveys. And I, I would really hope our teachers feel that administration supports them, um, that their communities support them, that parents support them, that their representatives support them. Um, I think in Wiley, we're, we're almost, uh, we're so blessed to have, you know, great leadership. Um, great campus leadership, great superintendent, great superintendent cabinet, great board. Um, so I hope in Wiley they feel um, supported because, you know, we 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 think we do. We hear that feedback. But really from a global like state and federal perspective, you know, I want our teachers to feel appreciated in that profession because mm-hmm. uh, it's the profession that makes all other professions possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, so I would really try to do something to help them feel appreciated and loved on a little bit more. Um, cause statistics have shown that's kind of waned over the years, like several public service jobs kind of have mm-hmm. for sure. So what's something you're focused on right now? So what I'm focused on right, right now is giving practical tips to teachers to help them be better. There's lots of research, um, but sometimes teachers want practical, um, how to get kids more engaged, how to get kids more involved. Um, motivation, they talk about student motivation a lot. That's a, something that uh, is, a, is a challenge these days, getting kids motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to look in the research and look in books and beg, borrow, and steal. And then when I bring things to them, I try and bring practical things to them. Mm-hmm. So when we do trainings, I do like a lot of theory. Um I personally like it, but I try and give them practical, not theory. So that's been yeah. really, really positive. We have great teachers and I love getting a chance to talk to them and say, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you thought about this? Yeah. Uh, that's, that, that's been fun lately. Yeah. That's like when I was in college, I took like an auditing class because I'm an accountant. Um, and it taught you all of the theories of like what you should be looking for in an audit. But like when it came to actually 
how to do an audit. Like I didn't learn that until I started working. <laughs> like, like it was all just like, oh, we're looking for this and whatnot, but then like how you apply it. And it took me a while to like connect the dots of like the theory that I learned to the actual practicality of what I was doing. It was a, yeah. Well, and I don't know how it is in the accounting world, but you know, I say we, we do some things that my, my example I like to pick on of things we do that makes no sense is, you know, raising your hands to answer a question. Mm -hmm. you know, why would I want to only call on a kid who already knows the answer to the question? I don't right. know. I want to keep them all on their toes. And at any point I might call on you. So we teach them to draw popsicle sticks. Mm. The kids like that as much. Well, no, they don't like it as much because if it's hand raised, can't hide. Yeah. And, and, and so we give them strategies, popsicle sticks and how to do it, but do it in a safe environment. So kids, you know, if they get a question, they don't know how to answer. They can do a phone a friend or, yeah. uh, so it's the little practical, but it's like, I don't know how this is accounting, but like, why do we do it the way we like hand raising is the silliest thing in the world, in my opinion. And yet it happens in schools all over America. So it's yeah, campaign to get rid of hand raising. Yeah. That, that'd be one thing I would like to see is like, uh, I, I feel like one of the things that I've learned from the most is when I am wrong or when I have failed or when I've, you know, messed up or something, you learn, you learn from that situation. So like, I think providing that safe environment for people to try something and then, and then not do well, like that's, you kind of get that feed, you get the feedback like, Oh, maybe I don't know this as well as I want to, or maybe I should try a little harder or whatever it is. Um, and letting that be like a norm of, you know, failure is good. I just read a book called hidden potential by Adam Grant would recommend. Um, and, uh, one of the, one of the things he talked about was, uh, he has a whole section on schools actually, but, uh, part one of the chapters was about like learning languages. And basically he said that people, they think now that it's not so much about, um, like, oh, younger kid, younger people can, um, learn faster because they have more brain plasticity and whatnot. It's more, they now think it's more the fact that they're willing to look, look like a fool and, and mess up a lot more than an adult is. Um, and that we should be practicing and making as many mistakes as we possibly can early when we're trying to learn kind of like a baby trying to walk, you know, they don't, they fall down on their face all the time, but they don't just like stop and like, oh, well, okay, I will never walk. You know, it's kind of getting that, you know, find, make mistakes, learn, get, get better, reiterate, do, and then repeat the cycle. That's interesting. Um, I was actually looking at some research. There's a book called Make It Stick. I don't know who, who writes it. It's about how your brain works to retain learning over the long term. And it says, if you think about something, if you think about a process or attempt something and do it wrong, as long as you have correction, you still learn. It's, what you're, it's exactly what you're discussing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as long as you, you know, even if you essentially mess up a, a, a math problem, you know, as long as given the right correction, you, you learned. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we have this idea that if you do it wrong, you know, you're kind of going backwards and you're learning. That's not really true. No, not um, at all. And it's also, there's a part in there where it discusses, you know, needing to mix up your practice. So needing to do it in different contexts in different ways. Mm -hmm. and, um, again, if you think as you're a kid, 
you do a lot of that. You do you do a lot more kind of testing the waters. And when you get mm -hmm. older, you do kind of get stuck in your one mode. Yeah. Well, and that's why they also say that like the the language apps, like that's why you can kind of get the get the answers right, but not be able to speak, write, or read any of that stuff outside of the context of the gamified app. Like you're trying to win the game, but you don't really, you're not really retaining the knowledge. Um, but yeah, the, uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? It just, it, it, it's gone. So, oh, I was going to say, um, it's kind of like, you know, you don't remember the good times or like the, like good news comes and it goes pretty quickly, but like bad news sticks around and like grief and whatnot seems to stick around a lot longer than the happy feelings. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with mistakes. Like if you make a mistake big enough, you probably won't make it again because you don't want to have that feeling again. Yeah. Um, and you know, as adults, we're, we're scared to make mistakes, even though like that's, that's where most people got like got to where they are is they just throwing a bunch of spaghetti against the wall, saw what sticks and then go, okay, well that's stuck. Okay. Let's try again and just keep trying and you don't you don't resort re resort back to zero like you now have learned you've at least learned that this is wrong you may not know what's right but you've learned this is wrong and the you know that's important in the other uh kind of part of that i read i read this in one of the books it said knowledge gaps are motivating but knowledge chasms are not Mm -hmm. I like that phrase. So like if you're close enough to be able to grab something, you know, if you're within that zone of approximal development, like and it's just my next step, you know, like being a runner, you know, you probably are trying to improve your time just incrementally. Right. It's mm -hmm. the same kind of idea. Like if I'm just close enough to grab this concept or the skill that's motivating to me, but if it's really, really, really challenging and I'm not even close to it, it's demotivating. Mm -hmm. um and i liked that quote because in education we say knowledge gaps is a negative term oh that kid has gaps um well knowledge gaps is actually a positive thing as long as you're within that zone where you can go grab it so i really liked that phrase as well yeah for sure yeah and if you have a chasm it's about resetting expectations of okay well we're not going to get yes we want to still get there eventually but like let's get to here first and let's let's not let's not worry about getting there. We're not going to get there overnight. Like it's just not going to happen. We got to take bite-sized chunks. Um, what's something that, uh, when people find out about you, they're surprised. That's interesting. Um, you know, I think when I tell people I'm a third generation educator, my mother, I always like to say my mother was the best math teacher in the state of Texas. Uh, she she was a fantastic, amazing math teacher. She was actually my sixth grade math teacher. Only detention I ever got in junior high was given to me by my mother. Oh, dang. Which is just... I'm sure your friends didn't make fun of you at all. Uh, and that's and that's a very controversial tale, so I won't go into it here. <laughs> uh, but uh, That's for know, another I, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, she'd have to come in to defend herself, but she's yeah. wrong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my grandfather was a, a, a teacher and a coach as well. Um, my brothers, like I said, are all lawyers, but I, I don't know if it surprised people, but, you know, I, I do get very passionate very quickly about our, our K-12 schools, our public schools. I think, uh, I think when you look at the success of our country, most people don't realize that compulsory, uh, free K-12 public education was a very revolutionary American concept. It was very, very, 
uh, innovative at the time, you know, even, you know, when it was just K-8, uh, you know, my grandmother, I have her eighth grade diploma. Mm. because You got a diploma in eighth grade because at the time you didn't have to go to high school. That was secondary school. Um, but uh, I don't know that everybody realizes that I think that, that was, you know, our educated populace for years through our K-12 education system. I mean, that was our economic driver. Yeah. Um, so I know that surprised people, but man, I, I get really defensive and proud of our K-12 schools and our teachers um, because I just think through the history of our country, it's, it's a, it really was a revolutionary idea. And I don't, we, we kind of take it for granted now that everybody does it. Yeah, for sure. So for me, that's something that I get pretty passionate about pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's good for my job, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, you ended up in the right place, I would say. Um, so one of the things I like to do before, uh, doing an interview is do a little research and go peruse people's Facebook pages, LinkedIn's whatnot, if I, if available. And one of the, uh, posts that I found was from, it was from two years ago, but it was towards the top. Um, cause you probably like me don't use Facebook all that much, but, um, apparently you hate Reese's. Oh man, this is my Facebook claim to fame. <laughs> So I do a candy ranking every year right before Halloween where I, I used to take my kids candy and I just kind of put them in an order and I do a little post. Um, and the easiest way to get engagement on the post is to just kind of dump on Reese's and put them like one year. I, I think I put them below a can of green beans and uh, the one I saw, I was below ramen. Oh, that, see, and there's no question, ramen is a hundred times better than a Reese's, but that's, I mean, there's, I don't know, I, I hate peanut butter inherently anyway, okay. just for me. Like, I was going to say, it's got to be a peanut butter thing, right? I hate, I hate peanut butter. If my wife eats peanut butter, I won't kiss her. It's just, I hate peanut butter, but it's that's so- how I feel about pickles. Oh, it's just- if My wife's got pickle breath. It's a, like, no, you're going to have to shower before. <laughs> so I call them the Reese's truthers. And I just, I get engagement on the post by putting them down there in green beans and they fall for it every year. And and they know it's not even, I'm not even letting the cat out of the bag, but once a year, everybody looks forward to my, to my, um, you dunking on Reese's handy rankings. It's, it's a, and now that my kids don't go shopping as much or Halloween candy, uh, trick or treating as much, I had to pull a bunch of pictures off the internet this year and make it with a, little internet tier thing but uh there you go that's my facebook claim to fame i don't i don't get on facebook much it's 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 pictures of the kids and whatnot nope. I do the political stuff but that's once a year where it gets rowdy on my facebook so what are the top ones for those who haven't seen it what's well, always gummy bears are always up there gummy okay. bears are my favorite um for me uh i like i eat those pretty much every day uh every good day. old percy's chocolate bar there's nothing like an OG Hershey's. I guess really? it's great. And then Twix, Twix and Kit okay. Kat. So you can see it's chocolate heavy, but nothing peanuts, no Snickers. Okay. Definitely not Reese's, not, not coconut, none of that. No, I ain't doing any of that. Do you have a traumatic experience with peanuts or just you find them disgusting? I, I find them disgusting. People just say, people always say, when I say I don't eat peanuts or peanut butter, they always say, are you allergic? Do you have an allergy? Yeah. No, I just. They're just great. find them revolting just not good but y'all can lie to each other all you want but Reese's are not good they're not all the different flavors or all the little things they throw at you none of them are good 
I mean, they're not really flavors. They're just more shapes. Yeah. Although, although the Reese's Truthers will tell you they taste different. They like different shapes <laughs> will taste different. I bet. Funny thing is they know I'm messing with them every year, but they still get mad. I get texts. Yeah. <laughs> you posting. I I bet. I bet. Uh, yeah, they're ready with their their uh their keyboard warrior for the Reese's. That's right. I'm talking to you, Jimmy. Get ready. <laughs> um so one of the things I like to do is get a question from the previous guest. And since it was a month and a half ago, I had to go back and find it. Uh, but the question this time is, how do you plan to stay connected with Leadership Wiley after graduation? So it's funny. I was actually thinking about this not too long ago because we just came back from Austin, but I missed day two. Uh, I had to drive back. We had a very important uh, work day with teachers that Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So Monday I had to drive back where everybody got to stay and eat dinner. Um, but I really think it would be good if, I don't know, once every three months, once every six months, if we would just go have a dinner together. Yeah. Um, some of you people get to do lunch and not, you know, in the school world, you don't do lunch as much. Uh, yeah. But I really do think it would be fun. And, and that's kind of one of my things. I would be the one that organizes a dinner like once every three months. But I think that would be fun just to see each other and stay connected. And again, you know, if there's sure. good intersections that um, our work connects, that, yeah. that's, that may not always be true. And I thought it'd be just, be, I was sad that I missed the dinner is the point of that story. Yeah. Just dinner on Monday night. And I would like the chance to socialize with everybody. We have really good folks. Yeah. Really, really good people. For sure. Yeah. And a wide array of, of people as well. The, um, yeah, the dinner was good. Um, we, uh, Tuesday was really cool. We did the, um, did a graveyard tour of the Texas state cemetery, which was cool. Um, yeah. And I sent the article about the people who have brave, uh, headstones, but they're not dead yet. Um, and yeah, that's probably a pretty, uh, an odd concept if you didn't see it like, um, Vern Lundqvist has a, has a headstone and I'm like, I don't think he's dead. And they were like, yep, you'll notice some, some of these people are not dead yet. And they're like, (laughs) okay, good to know. Vern's not, is still with us. Yeah, because he's calling the Masters in a couple weeks. I think this is the last one he's going to call. Or no, yeah. yeah, is it him and they, I don't know, but he's about to call his last something. I saw. Gotcha. Him yeah, but yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't think he's dead. But yeah, that that was uh, that was something. Um, and then we went to the the archives, so we saw a lot of like really historical maps, which is pretty cool. Both are available uh, for public uh, consumption. It, you just have to contact before you go down there. So if you, if you and the family find yourself in Austin, you can, you can make that happen. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think anytime you can get meals together with people, I think that's a, it's a good time. And, um, and it's just fun to converse. And we had a, there was like three tables and we were the middle table. We all ordered different dishes and we just shared and we just, we just had the best time. <laughs> so I'm sorry you missed out on it. Um, um, we already kind of talked about what you're passionate about. We'll be say sports. Is there anything else you would say you're passionate about? I mean, uh, I was a percussionist. So I was a percussionist as well. Um, Man, you're my play. spirit animal. I was a drumline too. <laughs> so the story is supposedly I was at a high school football game when I was 10 years old and I saw the drumline push forward, um, to do their big, uh, solo. And supposedly I looked up at my mother and I said, I found my calling in life. <laughs> uh, I'm sure her eyes got real big, but the last boy, the fourth of four boys decided he's going to play the drum set too. 
Um, but uh, they let me to do it. And, uh, you know, I walked into sixth grade band and they told uh, the Mr. Long, the band director, that I wanted to be a drummer. And he said, they all want to be drummers. We'll find something for them. And she said, you don't understand. Um, and I passed the rhythm test and there I was. Uh, so I, this actually may be the surprising answer to your question. Now I come back around to it an hour later is I play drums with a traveling gospel choir when I was at Baylor. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, so we went to one of the most high, probably the highlight of my whole experience there was we went to Paris and they don't have gospel music in Paris a lot. So we played in Texas, the, right? Yeah, no, no, not <laughs> Texas. Um, we, uh, we, we played at this church and they were packed, packed in there. And we played our whole repertoire. I said, more, more, more. And uh, so we played the opener again, you know, and we that was our encore, our finale. And they said, more, more, more. Well, then we played the ballad again. We thought since that was a little, they, they let up, no, more, more, more. So then the guy comes up and we're out of music. We've already played two songs for the second time. And so we played, you know, this other song. And uh, so we're driving and they're standing, clapping, and I'm playing drums. And the director points to the first row and he goes like this. And they just walk down the aisle and they start clapping. And our choir slowly walks out the back doors of the church so we can't do any more encores. And all of the band was on stage like, we're the only ones left. <laughs> That's amazing. So that was something fun I did. So I'm a drummer, and actually it was fun because my son is a percussionist now, and he plays oh, nice. the and, and I did not talk him into it. Yeah. His father-in-law's my father-in-law's a drummer, so his grandpa. I'm a drummer. Uh, my little brother-in-law's a drummer. They're all nice. better drummers than I am, and Eli's about to be a better drummer than I am. So there we go. Yeah. My my path to percussion was a little different. My uh, sixth grade year, I also tried out. Um, I was at South Lake Carroll at the time, so it was a uh, highly competitive, um, and, uh, I did not make it. Uh, so I had to play saxophone for a year. And then when I went to try out for seventh grade band, I did so horribly in my saxophone tryout that they put me in beginner band. And so I was like, you know what? Um, if I'm going to be in beginner band, I'm going to do the instrument I want to do. So I did percussion and, um, within the week they were like yeah you know too much go ahead and go up a band so i <laughs> so it was like there was like three bands and a beginner band and i weaseled my way into the third band uh uh in percussion instead of saxophone um which was pretty awesome and then i moved the next year to wimberley and i was like first chair percussionist there which was i was like oh that's cool like maybe <laughs> i was just in a place where there was a lot of people who wanted to do percussion. So, but then I did that for, I did it through high school um, until my second semester senior year. I didn't want to do concert bands. So I, uh, I left for like shop class or something, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. I, I, I did. I was a, uh, I was a bass drummer uh, in drumline. It was the, the big bass. I played big bass one time. That's what my son played this last year. Nice. As a freshman, uh, as a freshman, I played the small one, and then sophomore year, I got the big one, and I stayed there for three years. Man, I thought I was so cool. I I, I knew I was so cool. I know I'm so cool. One of, my, one of the drum canes is I got to start myself, and man, that was the spot. If you got to start patch, that was the spot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, we had one um, that I, I would start as well, and uh, the... 
but my my highlight was um at one point uh me and one of the other bass drummers decided during a pep rally that we would roll onto our heads and play bass drum and so we we played doing somewhat of a handstand uh while bass drumming so that was that was fun still harnessed in and everything our big closer was uh, we had trash cans, and on top of the trash cans, we would put baby powder. So as nice. you hit the trash cans, smoke rose. Yeah, that's cool. We did that every every show. Nice. So you have you mentioned your son. You also have a daughter. Is that correct? My daughter is she's big into drill team, and okay. uh, she was a volleyball player as well. But it looks like we think drill team is going to be her passion in high school. Okay, and how far apart are they? So they're uh, about fifteen months. Okay, about fifteen months, and we, uh, we we had them fairly young in our marriage, and like, uh, like okay, we got we got one boy, one girl, maybe that's it. You know, everything's for families of four, right? Cars are for families of four, hotel rooms are families of four. Mm-hmm. It's what you see on all the TVs. So uh, we decided, well, that's probably good enough. We both come from big families. We thought we'd have big family, but we're like, okay, that's that's. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm still speaking to myself in the future because me, I also have a boy and a girl. They're 20 months apart, so a little further apart. So what what uh what advice do you have for me, future Steven? So this is my advice for all future everybody as far as parenting. Parenting is all guess and check. It's all guess and check. Um we we sometimes we we have a lot of influence over our kids, of course. Um you know, they're, they're kind of going to do what they're going to do. So they're going to do something and you're going to respond. And it's going to be like the perfect response. And like that plan worked. And then six months later, it doesn't work anymore. You got to come up with a new plan. Um, but I know a lot of parents take things very emotionally, you know, like if their kid gets, of course, you know, I used to have to call your kids gotten in trouble at school, right. Or, you know, your kid's done something and now they have to go to the alternative school for 30 days or, you know, I worked at the alternative school. So I'd have to talk to the kid right before they go back and, you know, uh, you can obviously have a big influence on their life, but a lot of it's guess and check, man. It's it's just, and, uh, you know, the biggest thing is you develop a relationship with your kids where they talk to you. Um, by the way, I don't, most people don't know this, but girls and boys, the way they talk to their parents or to adults is different. You know, girls, when they come to you, it's a five on fire and they want to look right at you and have your full attention. Um, boys are not wired that way at all. Boys like to talk and open up when they're doing something else. Um, shooting a basketball, kicking a soccer ball, um, things like that. When I mentor students and boys, we walk and talk. They don't want to look you in the eye. They um, want shoulder to shoulder. I uh, I had a friend and and his, his child had been through a fairly traumatic experience their teacher had passed away Mm. and he reached out to me because he was concerned that his son hadn't talked to him about it yet and I said to him I said find a donut store 20 minutes away um you know there's a Krispy Kreme in Allen about 20 minutes away and I said you know wake up more and say hey there's this donut store it's the best donut store around it's why don't you take a ride with me we'll go grab some donuts for the family and so on the way out there there wasn't a lot of words said you know normal stuff and on the way back he talked about you know, his teacher passing away um i i read this by the way i didn't come up with this uh, uh that this is when i was doing youth work i read about mm-hmm. this uh, but it worked like a charm because they were going somewhere else he had time to that's just how boys are yep. um, but you really have to have a relationship where your kids talk to you they're gonna screw up everybody's kids screw up 
Um, but you want them when that happens to talk to you about it and to be able to process through it. Um, when I was at uh, the alternative school, I remember a, a kid who had gotten in trouble and, you know, dad was being so strict on him uh, and really, you know, this is unacceptable and we're going to fix this behavior. And dad was really trying to be on our side. And I appreciate that he was taking it so seriously, but his kid couldn't get a word in edgewise. Mm. So stop for a minute. I need to hear from him. Um, but you've got to have a relationship where your kids can bring you um, whatever's on their mind and then mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, but parent, that that's, that's really important. Um, you are their first teacher, you know, yep. parents are the first teacher. Um, For sure. So my two pieces of advice, parenting's guess and check and just make sure they talk to you. If they ever stop talking to you, then, you know, find a donut store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think I read once that it like goes back to like, you know, when we were hunter gatherers and like men would go out on the hunt. So they'd be shoulder to shoulder while looking out on the prairies to try and, you know, get food. And then women would be in the village doing things together in a circle. And so they're much more comfortable talking face to face, whereas men biologically are much more. And it's kind of a similar thing with uh, waking up at night to baby cries. Women hear it a lot easier, whereas men hear more like larger threats like animals and thunder and things like that which i that. i find it fascinating that we're sitting here in 2024 speaking over a connection through a satellite dish and whatnot and we're still having to deal with like i like to communicate with people shoulder to shoulder because my ancestors wanted to do that i you know it's funny you talked when you talk about that uh i was doing a, a professional learning we were talking about arcade man brain um we have a some people call it like a system one and system two part of your brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, system one is that K-man brain where you're designed to conserve energy and think as little as possible. Um, so sometimes uh, in the training, we talk about prompting the kids that we're about to have to go to next level thinking. So you say, mm -hmm. um, you, you essentially tell them uh, that, you know, I really need you to quote unquote, turn your thinking caps on uh, because we're designed to conserve energy with our K-man brain. We are mm -hmm. really we still have that caveman brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the argument is like things change so fast that our body has not caught up in terms of like evolution. Cause you know, we're like only like three generations from like no connection between people at all. Like it's not that far. It's not that long ago that that was the case. Okay. I've got a few more to wrap up. Um, what have you been reading, watching or listening to lately? Uh, so I've been reading a lot, uh, working for somebody's training for teachers, uh, but make it stick is the one lately. That's been really an interesting read talks about how our brains work and how we retain things over time. Mm -hmm. I like that. And then, uh, kind of for reading for fun, there's a guy named, uh, Chuck Kosterman. He's yep. almost like a modern day philosopher. And he wrote a book about the nineties that I'm working my way through. That's super interesting. Uh, he is an interesting cat, uh, he has a book uh, called Eating the Dinosaur, which is kind of a collection of short essays, which I love. Mm -hmm. He talks about the the TV show Lost and says the only reason to time travel is to go back in time so you could eat a dinosaur. <laughs> That's where the book, the title of the book comes from. So yeah, and those, he does a lot of like TV reviews, right? Is that? Yes. Yeah. And he and he was known as a Rolling Stone. Uh, he wrote for Rolling Stone first yeah. and a lot of music stuff, but he's kind of just a pop culture guy gotcha um what is um 
I asked you before we started recording to have a question for me. So what is your question for me? So I have, I guess I'm going to ask a school question since I'm a school person, but, um, you know, as, as someone who's in the community, as someone um, that will have kids in the school system, like, what is it that you would want from your schools? Like, what is it, does the, if you're sitting in front of me saying, this is what I want, I mean, I know reading, writing, I get all that, but like, what is it you want us to invest in your child, spend our time with them? I mean, clearly knowledge is like, you know, I, honestly, I think, I think from a kid, for my kids, I want to, I want them to know that they're, um, you know, they have worth, they learn social skills to interact with other kids, adults, everything like that. Um, and learn how to learn. Like, like I almost feel like a lot of the things we learn are just teaching us how to learn in general, because a lot of that, some of that stuff, like we say it matters, but it doesn't, you know, like <laughs> at once, once we're done with school, like I haven't done calculus since then. Um, but I learned how to do a challenging thing. And I almost like wish that was more of like less of the emphasis of like, oh, you need this because you'll need this in the future. But more like, hey, we're doing this because um, because it's more about like learning how to do a challenging thing, overcoming something you don't understand. And maybe this sparks some joy in you and you want to pursue doing more advanced mathematics stuff. Uh, for me, I just, for my role as an accountant, I need to be able to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, and that's about it. Um, but I think having, I found my love of learning in my late 20s. I started reading more, um, and that really sparked. Once I realized I could learn things other than what I learned in school, um, and could learn things that I wanted to learn about uh, that really sparked my curiosities. And then it led me back to some of the things I learned in school and like, well, was it really so bad or was I, <laughs> was I just a punk kid? You know, like just every teenager who's just like, I don't want to do this because somebody wants me to do it. So I don't want to do it, you know? Um, so I think, I think at the end of the day, knowing, uh, developing a self-worth, uh, developing a love for learning, uh, uh, and just, uh, you know, just be cared about and not just push through, you know, I think that's what I want for every kid, not just my own. You know, we have a, we give the kids all a, a survey. This is Dr. Benson. Of course, you know, his passion is the Wiley way and, um, uh, in relationships and, you know, there's a lot that comes with the Wiley way and his passion, his vision there. But one of the questions that's asked to the kids every year is, you know, do you have, uh, you know, at least one person at school, one trusted adult that, you know, cares about you. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's so important to just, I mean, again, you hope, you know, if your kid has seven teachers in junior high that you feel like they all care about you, but, you know, really, really just one, um, you know, that one person, that one teacher. And and that's what I miss most about being in the classroom is you yeah. know, to be that one for some of those kids. Um, mm -hmm. You miss that. I love taking care of our teachers and hopefully our principals and, yeah. Um, things but 
you know, I saw a kid named Kowal Ismail at the at the 7-Eleven uh, not six months ago. He said, Coach Davis, Coach Davis. I gave him a big old hug, and he's driving a truck now and ended up in Wiley. And, um, you know, that was – and that was 16 years ago, and it's worth its weight in gold. Um, yeah. So, you know, hopefully our, our, our teachers do that every day. I know they work real hard at it, and I know our district does. Uh, yeah. But, man, just one relationship can change your life, especially when you're that impressionable age. For sure. Well, yeah, and I think also just like there's kids out there that don't get that at home. You know, my hope would be all of that would be from home too, but I, I'm not so blind to realize that that's not the case. Um, so, you know, like I want to help. I, I hope that my kids uh, will get some of that from me and my wife, but, you know, they're at school a lot too. So just having it everywhere and then also being, I would like them to, you know, if they have friends, be a good example for them and whatnot. But, but yeah, I, I understand the the teacher to administration on a much smaller scale. I was a camp counselor for five years, five summers, and then I was an assistant director. And it's just a very different when you're like in charge of the teachers versus in charge of the kids. Um, and being a counselor was much more fun. <laughs> it is. And it's, it's, uh, it's hard work to show up every day and teach six classes and your feet hurt. And, uh, For sure. It is so rewarding. And uh, I just mm -hmm. love our teachers and, uh, you know, I value what they do. You know, you still look back on it nostalgic, but hopefully I help them from this job. You know, somebody's somebody's got to do this one too. So hopefully I do it well and they have what they need and um, can be successful and just focus on teaching and learning. Absolutely. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Um, if something resonated with people and they wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So the easiest way to, to get a hold of me is kind of through the Wiley ISD official channels. So Stephen, S-T-P-H-E-N dot Davis at WileyISD.net. Um, I'm here at the Wiley ISD Education Service Center at uh, 951 South Ballard. Um, come on up and see me. I do meet with parents. Um, you know, uh, often I know they're at the campus and the campus takes care of them, but uh, sometimes I have specific questions. Sometimes, you know, I met with a parent this week, just had lots of questions about high school. Like, what does it mean to go to high school and college admissions and all these things? And um, normally their high school counselor will take care of them, but sometimes they end up at me too. And uh, so they can reach out to me anytime with questions about how we do or what we do. Um, like I said, my main job is uh, when we teach content and what materials we use and how we assess that. Um, I have a team of 11 fantastic content specialists who can answer any questions about ELA, math, science, social studies, CTE, fine arts, all that good stuff. Um, uh, and then I work with the principals on a daily basis. But stephen.davis at yisd.net. Um, I love meeting parents, talking to parents, talking to the community. If they've got a great idea, come holler at me. We have lots of ideas about the eclipse lately. Lots of eclipse talk. I I can imagine. Lots so, of things for what we should do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can only imagine what I imagine it's somewhat like when a police uh when police put out a hotline for a tip line or something <laughs> like that. Just like everybody thinks that they saw the thing. Somebody asked me, I think about two months ago, of course the eclipse is coming in April. And uh they said, What are the district's plans for the eclipse? And I said, we will go outside and watch the eclipse. That is as many details as I have today. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, we will be teaching all kinds of eclipse things. Uh, but we're excited about that. But yeah, if you want to find me, come on, find me. I'll answer any question you have. I really enjoy meeting with parents. That was one part, um, you know, when I was on the campus, you, you developed those relationships again that uh, mm -hmm. 
no, I'm not, I'm not as involved with that, but I'm always happy to help out. I can. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time and, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. All right.